Welcome to Moving Target. Joining me today for a discussion on a few different things, including the situation in Peru, maybe some discussion on censorship, some talk about Ukraine and an interesting overlap of, of uh, location this person now lives in the contrast of the propaganda we might have seen. And just joining me today is uh, Fiorella Isabel, co-host of The Convo Couch, anchor and correspondent at RT International. How are you today? Thank you for joining me. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm good. I'm good. You know, uh, it's winter in Moscow, but thankfully we do have heater, uh, heating and beautiful lights everywhere. Um, unlike the EU uh, <laughs> is having to deal with, but uh, we could get into that later. But this it's uh, it's interesting being here during this time. Uh, definitely something to talk about. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure there's plenty of places we could uh, get into. I mean, we could even just start there if you want, because I think it's such an interesting. Well, you know, the reason that I reached out in the first place was because, uh, you know, I love your work in general. We've connected different many times on your show, and I thought it'd be good to have you on anyway. But I, you know, finding out that you that you now live in Russia, I thought it'd be an interesting overlap to discuss. You know, the many different. You you tell me what you find to be the most obvious contradictions. I mean, and they're literally everywhere you look today and, you know, arguably from both sides, but that, you know, what are you seeing where you are now that let's say, you know, was something that surprised you in, in contrast to what the narrative was about what was there. And then let from there, let's get into like the arguments about what's going on, you know, because of Ukraine and, you know, what you were talking about, the energy and so on. Yeah. So one of the things, I mean, I knew that going, coming into here that we were being fed lies just because I've started this work before uh, coming here. However, the the way we've been lied to about Russia and Russians is ridiculous. I mean, the things they say on on uh, network CNN and and any sort of mainstream outlet that you know Russia is uh, running out of food, that Russians don't have anything. They they still look at Russia as in the nineties like after the fall of the Soviet Union, and they still like paint this picture that people are in lines for bread and whatever. Mm. And this just is like, it's one of the most cosmopolitan cities I've ever been in. Mm. It's the cleanest city I have ever been in, hands down. Mm. Um, and I've been throughout Europe and uh, other places as well. And it's just incredibly clean. Moscow in particular is incredibly clean. Uh, the transportation system in moscow in general in even in saint petersburg but in moscow and it's just so precise efficient and mm. it's it's something that um as u.s americans we really don't know about because everything about our system is so inefficient which mm. is why people don't use public transportation buses take forever we don't really have trains and the trains that we have are like falling apart in new york and it's just really bad but in Moscow, it's just it's more efficient to actually use the train because they don't really have like massive highways. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it's the traffic does happen. It, it does build up, but not everybody has a car. It's almost better not to have a car, to be honest. And the taxis are affordable and stuff. So the, it's those basic things like, you know, there's a plenty of, of food and grocery stores, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But on on a more uh, personal level in regard to Russians themselves, Russians don't hate Americans. In fact, they are, in my opinion, far too kind and diplomatic to the mm -hmm. West. They still think that the West is generally uh, a, a place that's decent. They want to go to the United States. Even people who work with me at RT have a more positive view of the West than I do. Um, and I found that to be very interesting. And mm -hmm. not everybody that works with me 
is some kind of Putin uh, lover. In fact, people that work uh, at RT have various levels of of uh, just like a political ideology. I mean, everybody from a communist to a conservative, you will find working in the news. So it it creates a dynamic that I don't think we really have in the United States, mm-hmm. where you have like differences of opinion, where people discuss like when you're doing stuff and somebody's like, you know, sees uh, Israel Palestine in a more two state solution or in a more pro uh, Israel Zionist way. And then you have like pro Palestinian views and you have that dynamic. It's really interesting. And I, I think a lot of people expect everybody who lives in Moscow to be extremely pro Putin or extremely mm-hmm. like anti West. And that's just not the case that I have not received any sort of negative, um, feedback for being an American. If anything, that it's it's more towards being uh, at RT even. You you have some mm-hmm. people that you know that don't like RT. But if I but other than that, like it's just been so co- contradictory because in the United States we get pretty much from the the moment we are uh put into school, we get told uh, every single propaganda, Russians are bad, Russians are the villains, the Russians are mm-hmm. this. So we grow up with that. And here it's like the opposite people are like grow grow up to kind of like "Mm, wow this is so cool this is so different so i think those those are very very uh pivotal things to point out yeah no i would agree i think what's let me ask you a point about the west american conversation now is there a lot a lot of examples around the world for instance in iran and i mean there's always examples of people that would actively be saying, you know, Americans individually, we don't like, but by and large, it seems to be a misrepresentation of people actively being aware that it's the government of the West, the governments of the West in being the focus of, you know, burning the flag or whatever they're doing. And they, and they're talking about the government and actively argue the opposite about the people. So in the case of Russia, in, in what you're describing there, you, you said people are something, you know, pro West or pro, you know, can you describe that in, in, what the difference is and what you've seen. Is it more about the West or the people or how how do you see it there? Yeah. I mean, it definitely depends because like in Moscow, uh, Moscow is going to be the most other than St. Petersburg, the more cosmopolitan city. So it's more pro West. You have more uh, liberal views here than Mm. you do like in Donbass and then the rest, the rest uh, of Russia, which is, primarily extremely supportive of the special military operation they're mm-hmm. extremely supportive of of this anti-imperialist anti-west sentiment you'll still find some soviet type of of nostalgia all over but even, especially outside of moscow now in moscow itself uh there is that sentiment that they the uh, younger people is what i found my my interaction with the youth people in their uh early 20s or so around that are are more open they're more liberal they're definitely not as conservative as the current government mm-hmm. and they tend to be more um pro west they like for example they they love american music they love karaoke mm-hmm. they love like this is, it's just very much like the hollywood type of oh america is so cool and right. and this and that now in terms of the politically aware uh, area where we're talking about journalists and talking about politics and stuff uh, that definitely varies. I mean, I think, okay. I think that it, there's definitely, you're going to find people that are more supportive of Russia in terms of maintaining their, their sovereignty and their existence, but they may not necessarily agree with Putin on everything. Uh, but in terms of like the, the, the Western sentiment, I think 
from my interaction, most people who work in media do understand the politics that the West has caused, you know, via the expansion Mm -hmm. of NATO, via sanctions and all of that. But they still hold some sort of like, oh, like maybe we can be diplomatic. And that goes even down to the government. If you look at the way uh, the Russian government, the way Vladimir Putin has kind of held off from Mm -hmm. intervening for so long. And that, that was one of the criticisms that some people that were more pushing to go in, which is if we talk about Russia's politics, uh, you have Putin's party, which is the uh, has has the most seats, but the second largest is actually one of the old school main communist parties. And they were the ones that wanted Putin to go intervene in Donbass sooner. Mm -hmm. And they have more conservative views on social issues than the a lot of people who call themselves communists in the United States do it's, right. it's, it's just completely different. So it's, um, but they're economically, uh, they, they economically leftist. So it's, it's interesting because Russia has this sort of bureaucracy that has Soviet era, like, like remnants of it. And mm-hmm. you see it in the healthcare and the education system and the transportation system, but it's a capitalist country that mm-hmm. operates on on the you know the global market. So it's kind of it, you have various degrees but I think in general younger people tend to be more less critical of the west and older people tend to be more aware of what the west is doing more nostalgic about mm-hmm. the soviet era and uh it's and this is just in moscow but overall russia is really united, even if they if they don't hate Americans and they you know they understand that the government is doing this, they're they're united in their opposition to the West in terms of just the the aspect of maintaining their their culture. And right. it's not this like it's not just because like they don't want uh, they're super like keen on the cultural issues of that in the same way we are in the West, but it's more of like without a s- opposition to what's going on russia would cease to exist mm-hmm. and that knowledge is is known in a lot of people but it's honestly stronger outside of the the major hubs hmm. it's it's interesting you know and i think that's seen in the extreme contrast of like the Donbass versus the current Ukraine and how that's being, you know, it, it just, these, there's a lot of sentiment about maintaining that, that, that the culture of ethnic speaking Russians and the idea of what's happening in Ukraine and the misrepresentation there. So it's very interesting to get the insight on what you see. And, and as people listening, I'm sure you could decide for yourselves. The point is this is just her perspective, right? And so consider that in the out in the world and, and other things to consider as always question everything. But, but I agree. I think it's, as always, I think it's pretty obvious to see that the, the situation there has been aggressively misrepresented because that's advantageous for an agenda. But in, you, you mentioned the um, Soviet era remnants in areas, healthcare and so on. When you say that, do you mean so in a detrimental way or that they, you know, how do you see that? It's actually uh, positive. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, people have healthcare here. Anybody that is a Russian citizen gets healthcare. Um, so that's that's a given. And they have a school for a free university. So they go to school like it's public, publicly uh, funded as well. Mm -hmm. So you have that that sort of thing that, you know, some people in the in the United States advocate for. And that's that's remained. And the public the transportation, public transportation is like that was pushed by 
the uh, Soviet Union. And it's still, you still have like the train stations that are from that era. They mm-hmm. look exactly the same, just uh, still clean, but they've revamped some of the trains and stuff. But really a lot of that is from like that era. And it's relatively very, very, very cheap to to use it. So it's it's almost like it's it's not free, but it's almost like mm-hmm. it's it's so cheap that you you could definitely get around. So they have that. And then in terms of the, the bureaucracy, in terms of the way the structure is set up, like I think like in that in those in those terms, they could modernize a little bit. It's mm-hmm. very tedious to do any sort of paperwork here. Um, and I'm lucky that with RT, I was able to really have them do a lot of that because if you come here by yourself and you have to do all that and the language barrier, it's just, it's tedious. So they could definitely, that's one of my, I think they could definitely modernize on that, but it's just, it's the same sort of structure that was in the Soviet era, but now, but like the government itself is operating on a, on a global capitalist economy while still having that same sort of structure. And it's it's kind of interesting and unique because that's why some people think that, you know, even Putin, Putin is is definitely more of a uh, conservative. He's definitely, I mean, nationalist. I am careful to say that word because mm-hmm. people have a negative connotation. But in terms of countries that have been just opposed by the United States and, and the EU and the West, um, they just, nationalism means something different. It just means yeah. like, we're going to maintain our cultural heritage and we're going to maintain our independence. So in terms of that, that's what Putin is. He Putin, you know, wants Russia to be uh, strong, to grow and uh, in the uh, a, a global market to continue expanding. But so uh, from a political sense. Right. So like his political his political stated direction is overlapping yeah. with what you described okay got it yeah but in terms of who putin is putin comes from the soviet era like he's Mm-mm. he's known that era so a lot of people that's why there are so many theories like oh putin's really trying to push communism and i don't really think that's true but i think if we can if we try to compare and i'm really careful with comparisons because it's a completely different country a completely different right. culture completely different people but if you try to compare the politics of putin with somebody in the United States, the way the way Russia has been and the way they do have these so, sort of social safety nets still, it would be far more economically uh, socialist than mm-hmm. what we than what we have in the United States, but it's still a capitalist system. So it's kind of hard to describe that. Um, and I do think that Russia's in the initially when the sanctions came on, they really did hurt people, uh, yeah. especially in the retail industry, uh, in industries where there was obviously business deals going on. The sanctions really did affect them. However, average people. It, yeah, right, not the government. average people. No, no. Yeah. no, no. However, however, they did bounce back. Um, mm. And I see that by going outside, like going outside and seeing families out in the streets doing things together. It's actually a very family-oriented society here in Russia. It's not a society where people are isolated. I think there's more isolationism in the West, to be honest. Uh, Russia is, is I, I found similar to Latin America in terms of the family aspect, in terms of the, um, not, p- people aren't overly religious, but there is that sentiment of somewhat of having uh, traditions mm-hmm. that that is strong here. And um, it, it's, I think it's a little, it's definitely more conservative 
for sure in a lot of things like drugs, sex, uh, sexuality, uh, the display of it more so. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a lot of people talk about the LGBTQ issue um, and how that's been extremely propagandized in the West. Right. In Russia, it's not like you don't see gay people or that there's they don't exist. They do. It's just not something that is promoted. Right. So I think when right. people have this idea that, oh, you go to Russia and you're gay, you're going to be persecuted. Obviously, they're more conservative and people still are having a hard time accepting it. But it's older people. Younger people are definitely not there on that. And it's definitely same with marijuana when it mm-hmm. comes to that. But like in terms of like the that you're being persecuted actively, that's just not the case. I've saw I've seen, you know, two girls make out on, on the, the metro and nobody really cared so i i just i think that's that aspect too is really hyped up to yeah. make russia seem like this big big type of country and putin as yeah. a default well i i, I mean I, I don't think anybody who's honest can argue that what the u.s is presenting is the truthful perspective i mean it's obvious that and, right. but it, as you i'm sure you would agree that russia has a, a does the same thing in reverse to a degree i think the u.s is the most prominent in my opinion but but i think well, why don't we get specific about it? So obviously yeah. it's being misrepresented by the media and the government. But from your perspective, like like being specific, for instance, are you would you, first of all, first part of it as as a foreigner be allowed to, mm-hmm. let's say, go in a public square and start just yelling whatever you think or having your broadcast right the way the the way the certain the circumstances are today and then contrasting that with could the an average Russian individual do the same thing? From what uh, I think I think it would be probably frowned upon at the very least. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at, at, at the worst, I think they would tell me to, like to not do that. I'd, I, I have a hard time thinking that it would just be allowed freely, mainly not because Russia is super anti free speech or super controlling, but because there's this thing that happens when you've had people like the Alex Navalny's and these groups that have come in with Western funding and Mm -hmm. have pretty much what they do is they target the youth, which is why the youth is always something I talk about because the problem with Russia is in a way they do need to modernize to make sure they educate the youth about the past. Because when the youth is uneducated, it's very easy to manipulate them. We're seeing that happen in the United States. We're seeing that attempted in Iran and Mm -hmm. Russia is another uh, place where this has happened in a way with Alex Navalny. He targeted a lot of young people people, uh, a lot of people that felt, you know, that were critical of the Russian government that wanted more of a liberal government that were extremely pro-West. And so that that sector of the group, if you recall back a few months ago, there was a protest that had about like a thousand people or so, and they were protesting the war because they didn't want the war. And they were allowed to protest, but it's eventually, you know, it was shut down just like it would be in the United States. I mean, right. in the United States, I've been for, <laughs> there's been like 30 protesters and like 100 cops show yeah. up. It's insane. But like, but in terms of like me doing it, I've just, I, I wouldn't because obviously I am a foreigner. So I'm very mm-hmm. much like, I wouldn't, I, I don't want to tell Russians how to, what to do. And I think that's dumb. But right. I, I think the, the more of the question is, can Russians? And I think Russians yeah. can. Um, but it's limited for sure. I'm not saying, you know, you can just go mm-hmm. and say whatever you want. Uh, well, and I that, think, well, I was, was going to add, no, a lot I was just, just, um, go, sorry, go ahead, finish, go ahead and finish. No, no, no I was just going to say, I, and it's definitely the, 
the situation too, which has like, they're very afraid of the propaganda coming from the West, which is why the tit for tat happened with Facebook, Twitter, you know, with everything, every, every Russian media is being sanctioned. Every Russian media is being banned everywhere. So it's like, Russia is like, okay, well, we're not just going to allow you to bring in this propaganda, but people here have a VPN. Everybody has a VPN. Everybody. It's not like you're, we're not at work, like on, on these channels, like everybody has a VPN. So it's not like it's, they're like, Oh, you're on Twitter. You're going to be fined or whatever. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's a very valid point to bring this up in, well, I mean, obviously, first of all, you made the point before about, you know, when somebody in Russia says the word nationalism, they're thinking of something different by and large than what somebody in the United States said. And that's, that's a common thing in, in, that's just one example many different words and perspectives. And so we're not necessarily thinking the same things and that's a cultural thing, but also propaganda. But the point you brought up, I think is very important about, there's a valid point to be made about, and I'm in no way suggesting that I support the idea of shutting down speech at all. Zero. But right. I can understand why there might be an overzealous stance when you see things the way that these platforms have very clearly been used. And we're now finding out more and more as this develops about, you know, influencing foreign governments, as well as things like, for instance, the National Endowment for Democracy. Right. There's a reason China mm-hmm. and Russia like basically won't allow them in the countries anymore because they're yeah. Trojan horses of regime change. So that does that mean that they should stop their own people from being able to engage with it? Well, there's a debate to be had. I disagree with that. But yeah, there's my a point is you can understand why that might happen. So, you know, what do you think about that? Just the, the nuance there. Yeah, I, you, you know, I I would consider myself a free speech absolutist mostly. Me too. Yeah. However, the more I've been visiting these countries that like um, or, or looking into them, Russia, Nicaragua, uh, the two countries I've been to that are more strict when it comes to the the, the propaganda that they allow. And because they know that the West is pu- pushing propaganda mm-hmm. and they are so afraid of being cooed and regime change, especially countries like Nicaragua that are so much smaller and yeah. less powerful. Um, and I'm going to Cuba in March and I'm going to do, I'm going to really look at how things are there as well. But like, that's one of the, the criticism of Cuba. They don't allow this. They don't allow that. But then I look, I'm like, this tiny Island has been keeping the United States at bay for so many years. And there's just, it's, I've found the more I've looked into these countries and the more I've been here, it's just impossible to do that without some sort of like, okay, guys, like you need to understand this is propaganda, understand your history. Mm -hmm. I don't look at it in the same vein as what happens to us when we get restricted because we're the ones primarily spewing propaganda i'm not saying no other country does it but i'm saying like at the nobody does it at the level russians are really bad at it they're really really bad at it nobody does it at the level like that we do it so i in nobody is really under the united states and the eu the nato nations are leading this um just uh you know global totalitarian sort of push and it's like when other countries try to defend themselves how do they defend themselves if our propaganda arm is so strong? And so it's kind of hard for me to grapple with that because yeah. I don't want to limit people's speech. But I'm also I'm not also uh, the president of a country that is facing the biggest, most powerful empire that exists right now in the world. Yeah. So I, I think I would take some precautions at the very least. And that yeah. might come out in terms of you know, preventing some sort of propaganda or at the very least teaching people to know their history 
And, you know, the only country I've been to that really, really does that well, where they teach kids what what actually how many times the United States intervened in their country is Nicaragua. The Mm -hmm. youth there really know their history. But in other countries, I've just not seen that. And it's dangerous because it's always, always through the young people that tend to be more liberal. And that's the agenda that they're pushing. They're trying to get young people to run with this whole thing. And, and that is a very real concern, I think for a lot of these countries. A hundred percent agree. I I mean, just from my personal perspective and I, and this, I mean, this is one of those kind of impossible situations where, you know, easy to understand why it's being done. It's very clear, even in the concept of like, let's say I would, my stance has been that I don't support war in general. I don't support Russia's invasion of Ukraine. However, it's obvious to see why they made those choices. I mean, it's impossible almost to seeing it's unjustified, but you know, from it's, this is the point of making these kind of stances. So with the free speech point, I would simply say that, you know, being an absolutist in this concept, the point should be that we shouldn't do anything to suppress the speech, but we need to address the problem that's still there. That's not solving anything. But obviously, the point is that there is an effort to undermine what they're doing. I mean, look at what the U.S. does and simply and we can get to this next, actually, and, you know, on your profile, you know, our Russian supported media, you know, whatever. And that's meant to be the same the precursor to their next actions, which is just to get people to go, oh, maybe I shouldn't even look at that, you know, and they're training people that way. And I, I argue that to a degree probably happens everywhere, but you know, it, it comes down to the point to where when the U S does it, it's good when they do it, it's terrorism. And that's the kind of game that gets played. So going back to a place like Cuba, you know, you can see that it's insurmountable. I mean, they just don't have the resources to be able to contend against this. So they may just shut it down completely or so on. But the point is this needs to be looked at from a global perspective, not that we need to adhere to some global mandate, but just that the world needs to, as a, entire collective acknowledge what's actually happening and then acknowledge that people are being forced into corners where they're taking choices they may not have otherwise wanted to take because i mean otherwise you lose everything you know anyway not to explain away that their their choices because i still (laughs) don't agree that it's happening but to the point i was going to ask you though so what what would you say to somebody out there who would be watching this interview and thinking, oh, well, she works for RT, so I'm going to ignore it all. Or therefore, she is working for Russian yeah. government or so on. I think those are ridiculous. But what would you say to somebody who would question everything? You're, well, I shouldn't say it. We should always question it. But who would ignore what you're saying without engagement because you work for RT? Um, well, <laughs> first of all, it's funny because a lot of people at RT, when we're looking at you know sources and everything, we look at things like the AP, the Washington Post. It's not like RT doesn't look at that. They read all of that. Um, so, but they also read what China is saying. They also read what the other ends that we don't get access to. Mm-hmm. So I would say, well, if I, if whatever I say is invalid because I work for RT, then you have to really look at who else you would put in that category because if we're going to staple and this is my whole thing with the Twitter thing, if we're going to put a label as Russia state affiliated media, then let's put, you know, state department affiliated media labels on literally every mainstream media outlet in the United States. Uh, Also in the EU, you have the BBC. It's Mm. pretty much like controlled by uh, the British government, literally uh, one of the worst. And it's, it's one of the worst. Yeah. And, you have Canada, like I mean, I not even, I mean it's Canada. Oh my God, Canada is one of the worst states right now uh, yeah. for as far as totalitarianism. You have New Zealand. I mean, you have all of these these nations that are so just their media is so bought and corporate and mm-hmm. and, and infested with the state. Then 
is the, you know, like that is very totalitarian by definition, fascistic. And so then you have, so then you, you talk about Russia. Yeah. Like, okay. So Russia, the, the Russian government, you know, in some sort of way, not directly, but through another company receives some sort of, of, of funding, gives some sort of funding for their media. Mm-hmm. And China does the same thing. As now, Ira- Ira- Iranian does the same thing. But, it, but the United States pretends that that doesn't happen. And really, like I said, we don't, I see in, at RT, they're the ones that invite like different views. We've had mm. like people, we have panels constantly where people argue different points of views. We have all of these things happening. And they, I just, they would never invite you on CNN. They would never invite you on, even on Fox. Like, right. it's just so, it's just crazy to me that, that they think that, okay, well, because you work for RT, then everything you say is going to be discounted. Well, then you would have to discount literally every other media that I I believe is much worse, uh, far worse than any sort of anything RT has been doing. In fact, in, in my opinion, sometimes they try they try extremely hard to be as nonpartisan with pretty much everything. And uh, there are issues for me that I that I are, I feel are very one sided for me, like. Israel Palestine for me it's 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 apartheid so for me it's like mm-hmm. okay like for me it's hard to to report on that you know but I do it um and well, it's, yeah. It, it's it's yeah it's just it's one of those things like I just don't see how it's any uh if anything RT brings in more voices that have been shunned and shut down and uh people it's just it's just the fact that they tie Putin to this and Russia to this immediately just makes people discount it. And you're right. I, I can't tell you how many comments people are like, oh, she's with RT. Eh, whatever she says doesn't like, matter. And it's, like, that's exactly yeah. what they want you to do. Like, that's the ultimate retort. Like, yeah. Oh, you didn't know yeah. she's RT? Stupid. Like, you should have known better. It's like, it's just such a childish, all-encompassing dismissal, like conspiracy theory. But I would point out that the U.S. fund, like, the the argument is childish almost, that they would pretend that they don't fund the meat. It's whether it's through an intermediary or not, the U.S. is literally on the record funding all sorts of media programs, especially overseas. Right. All right. So it, it's just it's so yeah. obvious that that's an illusion. And that's how this game gets played. But on top of the, well, to make this even more specific, just, you know, even though people will already have made their mind up and those people you're not going to reach anyway would dismiss it. You know, right now, are you able to say what you want on RT or is there any influence over what you're saying or do you get to decide what you're going to report on? Right. So it depends. Like when I'm uh, anchoring, when I'm presenting the news there, uh, we obviously talk about the news that's going on. And if I don't want to say something or if I don't agree with something, I don't have to say it. Right. And it's it's one of the things that I really love about RT because we really I'm like, oh, this is wrong. For example, there was a time when Julian Assange was called a uh, whistleblower. And I was like, actually, he's not a whistleblower. He's a publisher right. and a journalist. And so then we interacted and we changed that. And I have like full, you know, to look because it's my face that's saying this. So mm-hmm. if I don't agree to something or if I feel something isn't verified, I, I can double check it. I don't have to say it or whatever. I can argue with somebody and, you know, we, it's a team of people. So obviously I'm, I'm not the sole decider, but mm-hmm. I, it, it's a, a team effort. Now when I'm corresponding, it's even more because I'm the one that is writing everything that I'm going to say. Um, and I, I, yeah. first of all, I write a script and then I, and I, and then I say it and then I film it. So it's kind of like, I, I look at the story, I say, 
what, what you know what this is and blah 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 and we all have our specialties like mm-hmm. um obviously latin america is one of mine and american u.s politics as well so it's it's you know to me it's like i like having that freedom to do that and if i don't want to do something or say something i don't have to but the news is the news like you know there's it's not like I can make something up either or like that, that I can, you know, try to paint something in a way that it isn't because you have m- multiple people fact checking this, fact checking that right. and going over this. It's and and this is what kills me is when there was that that whole um, situation where they said that Russia sent a missile to Poland right. and the AP literally just goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. They report all of this, the Washington post, all of them. Okay. And you're supposed to have like a team of people where you're like, wait a minute, are you sure you, we would, we would never be able to report something like that. Just like by somebody just saying, oh yeah, but I thought it, I got it from right. somebody. No, you can't do that. That's not journalism. So right. it's really crazy to me that you know, RT gets thrown all the stuff, but it's like, wait a minute, how many retractions have these people had? They don't even retract it anymore. Exactly. They literally just, they're just, they pretend it never happened. Well, <laughs> like, you probably noticed this too. You'll find that m- almost every mainstream platform I can find now that you'll, you'll notice that it'll say posted and then it will be updated next to it with a different time and a different yes. date. And yes. nowhere is there in, and we all know this, as a journalist, this year in journalism, if you change the article post publication, you are supposed to all, you know, update correction, whatever. Never does that happen anymore. I've seen these things updated yeah. four five, six times, and there's not even a mark on there. And the entire thing is different. And I'm not talking about those. And this is another way they skirt this rule is they do those kind of like, uh, you know, breaking news updates where it just keeps evolving, you know, and they just become something different the next day. But they put out entire articles where like the Poland example was such, I mean, that one really woke people up. And I made this immediately clear. My, my The way I framed it was this exposed the propaganda pipeline right away. I mean, it was instantaneous AP and it trickled down the line and went all across the Western press and almost immediately it was at least disputed. And it's like, so they didn't know. And, you know, people woke up to that. So I'm glad we're, you know, flushing this out between the two and realize that any platform, including The Last American Vagabond, I myself being the editor, there's always an editor. So there's always somebody yeah. who's going to go look at it and check. Usually that's grammatical and things like that. But it's, you know, see on the record, which, you you know, you've made clear before, you're able to influence your own work and so on. Now, somebody who would tell you the opposite, Alison Morrow, I don't know if I'm familiar with her work from Rockfin. She she left the corporate media to do her own show because she came up against this and realized that it wasn't the case for her. So at the very least, in the United States, in many cases, you can prove that it's not what you're describing. So that's an interesting overlap to see where she tried to cover a story and they simply said, you're not allowed to talk about that. And then from yeah. that moment forward, she had to then check everything she was doing through them before she could even start researching. And she realized very quickly that this wasn't real. And she's talked and about not that only many that. Times. Go ahead. And and that's a good point to bring up about Allison because so many people from mainstream media left to go to work at RT, if you recall, because mm-hmm. they weren't allowed to talk about things uh, that they wanted to talk about. That's one point I want to make. The other point I want to make is uh, I have my own show apart from RT. Mm-hmm. So I have never been told, hey, you can't say this, Fiorella. You can't right. you can't talk about this, Fiorella, like at all. Like in my Twitter. Oh, my God. Like from... I just from forever, like when it comes to the vaccines, I was very, very, uh, you know, vocal about how I felt about Mm -hmm. that. Uh, I was never asked to, oh, you have to do this and that. Like, and and I was afraid of that. I'll point out really quickly that while (laughs) RT was taking quite a different stance in the beginning of this. 
right? Like, yeah. so that's an interesting point. So you were in essence, essentially contradicting what they were saying at the beginning, even if it was being more middle ground. And you're saying they didn't have a problem with that. Like, I find that impossible to be the case with almost any corporate platform in the United States. Right. Yeah. In yeah. any, not in any corporate platform and in most jobs, I mean, when that yeah. was going on. And, right. and so, you know, it's one of those things where I just, I don't, I definitely, one of the things I always said was I didn't, I wouldn't ever want to work in, in, uh, mainstream media in the United States. I would feel like I was like selling my soul because I know for a fact from people that have worked for mainstream media, they, you cannot say whatever you want. You can't have a a point of view that strays too far from the current narrative. You can be controlled opposition where you play devil's advocate here and there, but really you, you don't have control. It's completely different. And we have uh, people working for RT that have worked for other uh, mainstream media and I, they, you know, it's it's completely different. Obviously, you know, it's, I'm not saying RT is perfect, but they definitely do a really great job of like asking, for example, for Peru, uh, the Peru story. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, um, I I'm Peruvian, and also uh, Latin America is a specialty of mine. So they're like, okay, well, this is your area. I sat down with the editor. I'm like, okay, so this is what we need to improve on. Blah blah blah. Like, it's not. It's it's very interactive, and I really love that about about that because I for the longest time I knew like working in a big network wasn't going to be like that anywhere in the United States and it's just I just wouldn't be I wouldn't feel comfortable doing it in any network that isn't like that and everybody has a bias right everybody has an inherent bias and one of the things that I I I've actually interviewed um Lionel which um he's a hoot but he was saying like how you ex- do does the west expect the united states to uh not have uh or russia to not have to say anti-russian stuff all the time when they're like in russia like what 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 misinformation could it be what propaganda could it be that would be okay for the united states like do they want them to start saying russia is bad and we hate russians like Mm, you know during during, everybody has some sort of bias uh even us even people we all have an inherent bias there's no such thing as completely unbiased uh journalists the only way you have unbiased journalism fully is if you publish direct source material that it's just up for the people to see the way julian assange did it via wikileaks Mm -hmm. the way wikileaks did it where right. you look at the, where you look at it, I look at it. We we see the facts, okay, and then we make our own assertions. That's that's different, but that's that's the way you have a direct source. So w- when you're reporting the news, you're reporting as much direct source as much as you can. But every every person and every extent, every you know ecosystem is going to have some sort of bias. But what I like, I said, what I like most about where I'm at right now is. The, I, there, there are arguments. There's conservatives. There's liberals. There's, there's communists. There's everything, and that's how mm-hmm. it should be because you shouldn't be in a place where you all think the same. Right. That is just insane to me. I think that's impossible to have any genuine journalism in a place where there's only one allowable. I mean, that that is inherently contradictory to the concept of investigation. <laughs> it's just, it's a silly. And I think that's the problem is that they want to paint that as just that they all agree because they all have the right idea, you know, as opposed to them being forced into the collective of the one mindset, you know, it's very frustrating, but I, I think it's obvious to see that they're, I mean, I, I would, I think I would end this one part and I want, I want your thoughts on Peru. 
just simply arguing that, look, th- this is one person's perspective, guys. And, and to, mm-hmm. to dismiss that perspective because you've been told something else without verification is ridiculous. And I, mean, I would contrast what you said a moment ago about WikiLeaks and, and show and point that that's the opposite of what's happening with the Twitter files right now. And I think there's a very intentional yeah. game being played right there, even if it ends up being shown to be the case. Because I kind of think it is. I think what's being shown is the truth. But it doesn't matter because at the moment people are taking it, engaging with it and even going stepping on it further under the assumption that it's already being fleshed out. And that's a big problem right there. And I think the problem is that they want that from us. And at the very least, we should be entertaining the possibility that the perspectives they're showing us, whether Twitter or the U.S. government about Russia or China, are at the very least manipulated. You know, And I think that's why this is so important to have this kind of room that have different challenging opinions. And I think that's the only real way to come to kind of you know an objective perspective. So if yeah. you have any thoughts on that, go ahead. Uh, and then let's let's finish by talking about uh, Peru and let us know for my audience. It hasn't been I haven't gone into this. So let us know what's happening there. Yeah. So just to answer, uh, you know, your, your question, I think, or your comments, mm-hmm. um, the the issue with 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 objectivity is so subjective at times because mm-hmm. it's like you try to be as objective as possible. However, everybody has their own Uh, opinions and you know like I said sometimes it's hard to report on things when you feel like there is another argument to be made um or there's or there is there is a right and a wrong in something and there's not two sides to something um but for the sake of presenting the both opinions you have to present that and I think that is something that we shouldn't lose in media and I think the reason you're an independent journalist and I started this out as completely independent with pasta and uh you know we go to these countries still we do our own things still Mm -hmm. and one of the things that I, I I like is that you know doing this has given me more freedom to do it has given me a different a knowledge of the way people do things at a greater uh, level of, of a network. Uh, and I find that, you know, we do a lot when we're independent, we're already used to doing everything ourselves. Mm-hmm. Like I went from having like a team of t- two or three people to a team of so many people. And mm-hmm. it's insane because when you, when you're used to doing, you know, checking everything yourself, putting the information yourself, doing the research yourself and all of that, you're, you're like trained to look at everything and um, it's interesting. And I think that adds a different dynamic and I, that independent mind isn't going to go away. And I find myself being different from people who come from a more traditional media Absolutely. aspect. This isn't just for me. It's not just, oh, I, this is a paycheck. This is like, mm-hmm. I enjoy doing this. I, I believe in doing this. I want this to go well. I want more of this. And that's why I do it. And I that you you don't find that with a lot of people actually it's actually yeah. quite rare. Um, and before I was at RT, you know, I I had the same points of views that I have now in terms of where I was going politically, in terms of of how, what I thought about Russia Gate and mm-hmm. how you know how ridiculous that was, all of that. And people think that that sort of changed mm. all of a sudden because I started I've had these points of views, and if anything. Um, you know, RT has hired people that that don't even uh, have those points of view. So it, it, they're not as you know that you would think that they would hire people that that agree with with the Russian perspective. No, they hire right. people that are are against the special. I mean, they hire all kinds of people. So it's it's quite interesting that people assume that everybody that works there is like some sort of like. Putinist. Real quick, that's just the point that I think is hilarious because that in and of itself shows what we're talking about. That they're they're not 
doing due diligence. They're being subjective and they're assuming because all you have to do is look at your previous work pre-joining RT to see that you're consistent in your opinions, but they just don't care to do the due diligence. They want to just assume because you're there, therefore X, Y, and Z. And that's, that's the kind of people we're dealing with that do that. And that's, it's the lowest common denominator. That's what they're aiming this at, you know? So again, that's why this kind of stuff is important to show people that there's more to the story. Right. And, you know, and on that note, let's, let's talk about Peru and and the misrepresentations and and what you're seeing there. Yeah. So, you know, Peru is, 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 is really important, just like a lot of things to go back into the history of the country to Mm. understand why it's, going through what it is and it's you can compare it to what's going on with Bolivia or what happened with Bolivia mm-hmm. and how people pretty much rose up and they elected a president that in Evo Morales that they thought represented um, them and there it's a country that historically has been riddled with a lot of of issues primarily very rich countries in terms of resources okay mm-hmm. in terms of natural resources we're talking copper lithium oil a lot just a, a plethora of things but particularly lithium mm-hmm. uh there was recently discovered tons of lithium in in this area of peru and puno and that area is close to bolivia and chile which is an part a part of argentina which is where that triangle was and so you have this this region and this this mineral and these uh, these resources that are very very important to who the West mm-hmm. uh, because they are pushing this green agenda and I've done several reports on what they're doing in Africa so mm-hmm. they're basically trying to pretty much mine Africa to nothing uh, taking you know copper and lithium and all of these minerals that they they need for the batteries for green tech and green energy mm-hmm. that they're trying to push because they're trying to get everybody to zero carbon and zero net carbon by I think 2035 was the marker. And the, they're doing all of this and they're saying, Oh, we're, we want green this and that, but they're doing it by obviously exploiting like the African countries and same thing with Latin America and where all of these batteries and, and all of this, uh, just waste is going to go. It's going to go to these countries. And the money, of course, is flowing out of these countries into the West Always. And for this whole idea of green uh, revolution of some sort, which is bullshit because we know that it requires, you still need oil. You still need all of this energy to produce these different forms of energy. And I'm not against like using different forms of energy. I'm against, and I'm not against the environment or do I want to like have oil everywhere? But I'm against the exploitation and the manipulation mm-hmm. of the agenda that yeah. really doesn't give two craps about the environment, about people. And the to, point, to the, point that I, the point that I often insert right there is that and I agree with you that it, that's it's obviously not a solution if it's still, you know, if you're gas generated power, run, you know, to charge the EV, you know, it doesn't make sense if, the, if yeah. it's just an illusion. I would simply argue, though, that that's by design, because I argue we could yeah. probably design a system that would utilize the powers that we could maybe not a complete overlay where we just we stop oil and use these instead, but maybe a slow process to where you're not yeah. forced to do so, but you could make them viable. I think there's a choice to make sure that doesn't happen that way. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. Uh, And yeah, 100% it's a choice. It's by Mm -hmm. design. And so that plays into Peru because Peru, uh, Peru's current, uh, well, most recent president, Pedro Castillo, who was just ousted, Mm -hmm. he was pretty much wanting to nationalize the lithium. He was wanting to have the the miners have their own... um, 
have pretty much reap the benefits of their work because they were getting exploited pretty much. And who are the, the people that do this work? Mostly indigenous people, mostly people mm-hmm. that live in the rural communities. And so the multinational corporations have been embedded in Peru for a long time. The CIA has had their hand in Peru forever. I wrote an article where I talked about this. It's basically when you go back to the nineties during the presidency of Alberto Fujimori, who was uh, his right-hand man was called uh, Vladimiro Montesinos. Vladimir Montesinos was um, had meetings with the CIA. The CIA basically made a deal with him and funded their crackdown on these groups of what the, the of terrorists is what they were called. They came out of this Maoist ideology from the rural areas. They were called the Shining Path, and it was a group that became extremely violent when they blew up um, several car bombs, they unleashed several car bombs in the luxury elite area of Miraflores in the capital of Lima, and it ended up killing people. There is so much backstory to that where people say that that the group was infiltrated by people who wanted to make them look bad. Whatever the case may be, they became extremely... Um, aggressive and it pushed away people who had been on their side. Uh-huh. So then they, there was this whole thing where, okay, well, the CIA is going to fund the, the presidency of Fujimori via his right hand man. And they're going to take down this group and, uh, and stop their reign of terror. So through that funding, what ended up happening is Fujimori completely got rid of every, the, every aspect, the Congress, the media, everything and he became this dictator of the country and he unleashed violent crackdowns against anybody that was deemed associated in any way with this group but what happened was that people who weren't associated with the group ended up being told that they were and they ended up uh he ended up uh approving extrajudicial killings mm. mass sterilization of these uh indigenous women he's in jail for this so it, mm. there's it's not a question of did he do this he he's in jail for it. He's he's been in jail for the last uh almost god decades or so uh what? since he was accused of this since this happened. Um and he is the father of Keiko Fujimori who ran against Pedro Castillo. Okay. And she ran this was her third time running in 2021 and when she lost and she tried to say that the election was invalid, it wasn't. Mm-hmm. She didn't have any basis for it. However, um, her party is extremely neoliberal. Uh, she was supported by the West. They wanted her to win. She lost. And then, of course, Pedro Castillo came in. And other than the, the, the racial and, you know, that sort of thing that happens in Peru, where there, there is a country that still has those tendencies where if you're a rural person, a person that's a, a peasant farmer or from mm-hmm. the indigenous communities, they don't look a lot of the people in the capital don't think that you are smart enough, intellectual enough, capable enough. Castillo came from this region called Cajamarca, rural area, teacher, union leader, that sort of thing. And so him being president didn't sit well with a lot of the uh, political elite of Peru. He threatened the multinational corporations. So that from the moment he became president, they were saying he's corrupt, he's this, he's that, et cetera. And And so they, they... 
wanted to get rid of him from that moment. We see this in a lot of these Western influences in influence countries like Bolivia, Venezuela, where it's it's it becomes a race issue. We're very clearly like where it's there's a divide essentially based on more ethnic versus not. You know, what's mm-hmm. your take on that? Is that is that intentional? Yeah. So, you know, I find this in Russia, too, actually. Um this is it almost makes me so angry in terms of mm-hmm. like there is almost like a sense of God, I was looking for the right word because I've I've said this before. It's like a a sense of just feeling like you're less than the West. It's like this sentiment, for example, in Latin America where people like they 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 they're so like they they're so fascinated by Europe. They're so fascinated by um, the United States. They have this ideal of, oh my gosh, the United States, everything's beautiful, clean, mm. every, every, you, it's, you know, they have this idea. A lot of people do, especially in the capitals. And I, this goes back to that's how it always is. The center of the capitals are more pro Western. That's where most mm-hmm. the propaganda is, the money is, et cetera. Right. And so you have that. And it's, it's, it's this sentiment of, oh, we're going to create this illusion, this fantasy that the West is so amazing. Um, and people like who have money in South America, they go to Europe, they vacation in the United States. They don't really, they don't really have this sort of, it's, I, I don't want to say ge- generally, but especially in, in places um, like that have a lot of neoliberal influences, traditionally Chile, Argentina, mm-hmm. uh, Peru, Brazil, those places that don't really have that sort of, uh, Venezuela has gotten a lot better. There is a portion mm-hmm. everywhere uh, of, of these uh, these countries that have that. But in general, there's like that divide. And it's because th- that influence is very colonial. It's it's still part of it. Right. And I, I mean, you would think colonialism ended with, with these countries seeking independence from Spain, but really then the, the United States, the West replaced them. Right. So it, it really didn't. And so you have this idea that you are successful. Um, if you're successful, that means you you're not poor that you're you're some sort of cosmopolitan person that you know english that you know american mm. things and american culture right. that you have been to europe so it's this sense of 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 false superiority but also mm-hmm. self-hatred where you right. you have that sentiment of not really being in touch with your your culture and where you come from to that degree that you should be and there's like this just looking down on people who who are that who represent that and that's the, the role people. And so yeah. that is essentially where that comes from. And I've seen it pretty much in every uh, Latin American country in South mm-hmm. America in particular. And I, it, it's very interesting, but I see it in Russia too, just like the sense of like, Oh, we're not as good as the West, but, it, but in some sentiments like, Oh, Russia, you know, could be this and that, like kind of like a dig at themselves. And yeah. it's really interesting what that has done. It makes me sad in some ways because it's cool. like, where where's that coming from? Like I I value the way things are different here, the way things are different in other countries. I mean, yeah. I like that. I, I I don't like this idea of all of us being the same. I just think it's yeah. I would say it's propaganda. I mean, I whether I mean, I'm sure yeah. there's there's an, a, a, an organic sentiment that could arise, but by, by seeing, but Stephen, then you're still pointing at what they're showing you is what that's not ne- that's never the real picture, right? Um, unfortunately, yeah. I lost track of time, and I only have a few more minutes left before I have to jump over. I have another appointment, but I wanted you to flesh this out for me. So, you yeah, can, I mean, well, actually, maybe we can reconnect uh, soon, or you could do something for the daily wrap up. Because I'd love people to hear more about this because it's such an important topic. Yeah. So, are we are for we sure. talking about like a, what you would see as a Western influenced regime change effort? Is that ultimately what this is? Yeah. So, just to wrap it up, um, 
the uh, Lisa Lisa Kenna is worked for the CIA for nine years. She's the U.S. ambassador to Peru. Mm. She immediately met, I think, a day and a half before Castillo was cooed because it's this is cooed because what I want to present to people is the media made it seem like he was trying to become this dictator and he dissolved Congress and all of that. The reality is he was told to do this. He was told to do this because he knew that he was being, uh, they were going to get rid of him. They were going to have a, a vote to, to get rid of him. They are throwing taxation charges at him. They haven't proven any of it. They've been trying to get rid of him since the moment he was elected. And uh, they hadn't pro- proven any of it. But the problem with approving Congress is it's corrupt. It's, it's bought out. It's completely bought out. Like it's hmm. entirely corrupt. The media is corrupt just the same way it is in the United States. Um, and the Congress has too much power. Peru has gone from uh, through seven presidents in the last eight years, seven presidents. All of them were supposedly corrupt. Every single one of them, uh, they found some sort of charges. So what ends up happening in Peru is they pay people to sort of implant evidence to kind of trick people into saying, oh, they did this and that. And basically what ends up happening is they they throw a, a, an accusation on the president. They oust them. And then the Congress has another election or they put whoever they want in. And that's what's been happening the last eight years. So mm-hmm. with Castillo, he, they really wanted him out and he was basically not strong enough. He was sort of weak because he started to play ball. He wanted to appease everybody. He's, right. He started, he got rid of one of his ministers right away. Economic minister, I believe it was. He started like just really trying to appease the right. And when I talk about right in, in Latin America, I'm talking about neoliberalism in Latin America. It's yeah. not necessarily the same thing that we look at as right and left in the in the United States. It's completely different, actually. And so he wanted to get rid of, of those people, and they knew that. And so they started slapping him with all these charges. None of them stuck. So eventually they were like, well, we're going to vote to see if we can impeach him. And they were going to do that. Then he said, you know what? It, I'm going to put a, a national emergency. I'm going to dissolve Congress for like a day or so. Or he said only a specific length of time. And then we're going to go um, and have a new Congress be elected and voted mm-hmm. because this Congress is corrupt. And and the people are going to decide. So the moment he did that, they said, oh, he's trying to coup the government so Mm. now we have to so now he's gonna go to jail because he's trying to push a coup but really the ambassador to peru the u.s ambassador to peru met with the uh economic minister a day and a half before he was cued they had a conversation as soon as they got rid of him and he was trying to run to the mexican embassy uh they they didn't allow him they stopped him from Mm. from getting there so he was taken to prison Literally the next day, Lisa Kenna, who's worked for the CIA for nine years, worked for the Pentagon and has been involved in Iraq. Mm. She met with the vice president completely to back her. And then also the OAS immediately recognized the vice president. So what you can see, you can see here is the U.S. is backing the coup at the very least. Mm-hmm. And what we're, a lot of us have been trying to look into is how fundamental how how involved were they and castillo has called them out and has said that it's it's the u.s ambassador to peru that has pushed this crackdown on the protesters which has led to at least 22 people dead right now uh the police are pretty much using live rounds on them there's military and in the streets going after them 
And these people have rocks. I mean, they, just, they literally don't have weapons. It's unbelievable to me how the same thing tends to, I mean, you know, if, if on one side it's justified because they're violent, if it happens the other way around, it's terrorism shooting protesters. It's, just, it's such a hypocritical, contradictory stance every time this happens. I'm so sorry yeah. to rush you out the door. I I just have another interview to get to, but I definitely want to revisit this because I feel like this sure. is such a classic tenet of what we've seen so many other places. There's so many ways we could yes. take this, but I really appreciate your work, Fiorella, and I'm glad that we joined, we connected today, and we should definitely do it again in the future, seeing as how I'm focused a lot more on different like medical topics today and I haven't got as much yeah. foreign policy going and I'd really like to you know pick up that slack with a lot of the other great work that's being done out there so any last thoughts you want to leave with us and uh you know just any upcoming work yeah well thank you for having me on I really love the way you you do your stuff too it's very much you know I I like that the way you have all the receipts and I love that um but also I just wanted to say you know when we look at these uh U.S. regime change interventions and all of that it's important to to understand the patterns in these Mm -hmm. things and this is how you know that even though you know what's happening in Russia is one thing what's happening in Peru is another you can still see the fingerprints and the lies from the empire and you can really you you learn to spot that rather quickly and learn to know that what you're they're telling you is complete and total bs just by 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 seeing the same rhetoric the same pattern the same call for democracy the same vilifying of their leaders and i think that's something that people really need to start paying attention to that it doesn't matter if one country's here and another's here uh it's there's a reason why these countries are are sort of coming together in so many ways away from the West because they are under, they're seeing that, that that's the only way to go. So there's a lot more to say about that, but thank you very much for having me on. And you guys can catch me on RT uh, where I do the news as well as correspond. And I will always uh, also be on the combo couch as well. So thank you for having me on. I was muted. Thank you. And it's been a pleasure to have you on. And and I, I really appreciate your work. And I'm glad we could do this. Let's make sure we do it again in the near future. And as always, everybody out there, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant.